So if you will look at your bulletin, our scripture this morning comes from Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It is, it would be an understatement to say it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, Eric is a good friend. He's been a pastor to my wife, Deb, and our family and I for a long time. And um, I know you love him the way we love him. So to be with you today, it's, it's a fantastic blessing to me. Um, and I'm just thrilled to bring God's word to you here today. Um, and before I start, um, can I just say, I, you guys may get used to it, but you have an awesome worship environment here. Your, your music, I mean, it's okay to give a round of applause to our musicians. Right? What, what, a, what a unique gift that you have here in this place. Um, I mean, just the Holy Spirit is alive and well and doing all kinds of things in and through you. It is a joy to be here. Um, so before we dive in, uh, I invite you to pray with me. Father, um, it is good to be with you. You are here, Holy Spirit. And we know that um, it's pointless to be here without you. So we pray that you would stir in our hearts, that you would illuminate the word of God on our hearts. Uh, would it change us even now? Uh, Father, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, that I might be used to bring forth your word to your people and even to my heart. Father, I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus. Amen. I want to tell you a story about my great-grandfather. Never met him, um, but uh, in, in addition to never having met him, I really never knew anything about him until my great-aunt, his daughter, told my wife and I a story on her deathbed about who he was and how he came to America. So he grew up in Poland in the late 19th century. His parents were farmers, and they didn't have much, and they made life work, um, but it was hard. If you know history, you know around that time in Eastern Europe, things were pretty tumultuous. War was mounting up. It was not uncommon for villages like the ones that my great-grandfather lived in to be raided by local militias, and young men like my grandfather being pressed into service within the military. You can imagine the fear of a parent at that time, right? Um, so his parents decided to do something about that. They chose 
to take matters into their own hands. They took the family's only dairy cow, and they sold it, and they bought a one-way steamliner ticket to America. And under the cover of darkness, they snuck my great-grandfather out of town to port, and they put him on the steamliner, sent him by himself to America. That story never gets old for me as I tell it in my mind and I tell it you here today. What an amazing journey that must have been. I can't even put myself in his shoes. Well, he made it to America. He found work. He found love. He got married, and they had a young family of their own. Three children came along fairly quickly, and life was good. Life was really good. Uh, They were experiencing the blessedness of a young family flourishing together with new world, new opportunities, and all kinds of blessedness around them. Well, unexpectedly, the flu pandemic of 1918 hit. If you know your history, you know what that was all about. Millions and millions of people around the world had their lives taken by that pandemic. One of them was my great-grandmother. So my great-grandfather, after taking this journey, finds himself a widower and trying to figure out, how do I make life work now with these three kids? Well, we don't know if he was a believer, but what we do know is he turned to alcohol. He became an alcoholic. He fell into depression. And life was really crashing in on him on all sides. So not knowing what else to do, he brought his three kids to the doorstep of an orphanage. He knocked on the door, he left them there, never to be seen again. For a long time after hearing that story, and even now, it really perplexed me. Um, after all that had been done for my, grandfather, my great-grandfather, after all that he had experienced in terms of the goodness of life, I get it. He got dealt a nasty blow. I can experience it. I have a wife with three young children. If my wife were taken, I don't know what I would do. But it perplexes me, how could he have left his children? And it occurs to me as I continue to reflect on that part of my life that that's not unlike we do as as Christians sometimes in our walk with the Lord. Our Heavenly Father has done so much for us. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb, we have the assurance of the eternity in the new Jerusalem. I mean, how much more is that than a steamliner ticket to America, right? I mean, that's the real deal. And yet, it's as if we forget that ever happened in the way that we live our lives at times. The Christian life can be very, very perplexing. With that perplexity in view, um, I want to turn to our text tonight, this morning, excuse me. I'm used to preaching at night, can you tell? <laughs> well, last week... Pastor Eric walked us through the concept of sonship, right? You you remember the idea that we have the wonderful identity of being children of God, as Sinclair Ferguson said. The living God is our Father. For those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a new radical identity. We are children of the living God. This week, our passage names the disconnect between that identity and our behavior. We are children of the living God, yes, but we often don't act like it. If the gospel, friends, tells us that the God of the universe is our Father, then why do you and I so often act like orphans? If the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ finished the work of salvation on the cross completely, then why do sometimes we work like indentured servants trying to earn our way out of debt? And if the gospel tells us that our love for one another ought to be our witness to the world, Why so often does the world look in on us as the church and see the exact opposite? These are perplexing realities of the Christian life. 
believing the gospel is a joyful journey, but it can be exceedingly complex and perplex. Our text this morning provides some really helpful insights into that perplexity. Paul, in exceedingly pastoral manner, in these eight verses, he shows us three things. He shows us the root of the problem. He shows us the source of power to overcome it. And he gives us a call to bear burdens with him. So let's begin by taking a look at the root of the problem. In this part of chapter 4, Paul takes on a very personal and pastoral tone. He kind of switches a gear. He's been very theological and doctrinal in a lot of the chapters preceding. But here he gets real personal and pastoral. He's appealing to the readers in Galatia to consider the disconnect between their actions and their current state and their original receipt of the gospel. Read with me again in verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy telling you the truth? So what we clearly see here, right, is that at one point in time, recently, the Galatians were on fire for the gospel from Paul's preaching. But now, they've somehow begun to fall away from that. And Paul is scratching his head over that. And as he says in verse 20, you guys perplex me. I don't know what has happened to you. Maybe you have friends or family that exhibit similar behavior. Maybe you yourselves exhibit that behavior at times. Well, I love what Paul does in verse 12 with that problem in view. He says this, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. So what's Paul doing here? Many of you know the history of Paul, right? Before he was Paul, he was who? Saul, that's right. He was Saul, and he was a prominent Jewish leader of the time, and probably so. He had a particular reputation for persecuting and even executing members of the early Christian church. Paul was a lawkeeper of lawkeepers. He was known for following the law with precision. Well, one day on the road to Damascus, his world was turned upside down when the Lord Jesus met him there. So it's out of that transformation, that identity transformation, that Paul says, I also have become as you are. What he's doing here is he's empathizing with the Galatians. He's saying, hey guys, look, I get it. Right? That's a very pastoral approach that Paul is taking here. He's not slapping them across the cheek. He's saying, I understand what you're working through. I understand that you're tempted to turn back. I know what it's like to strive for good works and for my status in front of God. But Paul urges the Galatians to become as he is now, free from the law and alive in the grace of Christ. So it's easy and even appropriate as we read the text tonight to look upon, again, this morning, as we look upon the Galatians to, to look in on their situation and be perplexed over the Galatians. It is perplexing. It's easy to put ourselves in the shoes of Paul as we read and maybe even feel the urge to jump with him as the hero in the situation, to want to be the person who's stepping in and saying, oh, foolish Galatians, come back to the right way. And, and I think there's something to see there, but I think if we stop ourselves long enough, we might recognize something greater, something deeper. Friends, I think what we need to see here this morning is we are the Galatians. We are the Galatians. One of my favorite books over the years has been Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller. Show of hands if you're familiar. Blue Like Jazz. Wonderful book in many ways. I don't agree with everything Donald Miller writes, but I love the way he writes, and I love particularly his perspectives on the Christian life. Um, in that book, he talks about this guy, one of his good friends, and he calls him Andrew the Protester. 
He's, um, imagine the poster child for um, Northwest uh, America. Um, you name the protest, Andrew was there protesting it. And so Donald is recounting his journeys with Andrew, and he says this at one of the protests that he was along the ride for. More than my questions about the efficacy of social actions were my questions about my own motives. Do I want social justice for the oppressed? Or do I just want to be known as a socially active person? I spend 95% of my time thinking about myself. I don't have to watch the evening news to see the world is bad. I only have to look at myself. I'm not browbeating here. I'm only saying that true change, true life-giving, God-honoring change, would have to start with the individual. I was the very problem I had been protesting. I wanted to make a sign that read, I am the problem. So as we contemplate the state of the Galatians, the root of the problem is not bad doctrine. The root of the problem is not a group of outsiders leading the people astray. Donald Miller nails it when he continues to say this. I think that every living person who is awake to the functioning principles within his reality has a moment where he or she stops blaming the person, excuse me, the, blaming the problems in the world on group thinking, stops blaming them on humanity and authority, and starts to face himself. I hate this more than anything. This is the hardest principle within Christian spirituality for me to deal with, Donald says. The problem is not out there. The problem is the needy beast of a thing within my very own chest. Friends, this is the root of the problem that we need to see this morning. Our natural tendency to drift away from the gospel. This is our default setting. This is what the Galatians are walking through. Left to our own carnality, our own devices, we resist the gospel. Our default setting pulls us right back into the same old patterns of pride, self-reliance, control, fear, the list goes on and on. Just like the Galatians. Do you experience that in your life? I do. Like Paul says in his letter to the Romans, the things that I want to do, I'm unable to do. I do the things that I don't want to do. You've probably heard Eric say this on numerous occasions. The gospel, right, is not about behavior modification. The gospel is about identity transformation. Like the Galatians, if we, can, if we try to modify our behavior um, without fully having been transformed in the identity of Christ, it's folly. We're going to continue to fail and fail again. What we really need is to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. That's hard, though, because it's not our default. Let me tell you a story about um, our dog, Lambert, who recently went to, if you believe that all dogs go to heaven, he went to be with the Lord. <laughs> Lambert was a stray that we took in a number of years ago, and um, he had lots of issues. When we brought him to the vet, the vet said, oh, he'll probably top out around 35 pounds. Well, 85 pounds later, <laughs> Lambert is a beast of a dog, and we're trying to figure out how do we get this dog to heal on a leash. We tried every trick. The gentle leader, you named the harness. I mean, we had a backpack that we'd load up with, like, Coke bottles, and he'd be, like, walking around the park. Like, and, and we thought anything to try and slow him down and stop tugging on the leash and giving us the need for shoulder physical therapy. Um, he just had this inability to heal on the leash. Try as we might, we couldn't figure it out. All of our training, all of our techniques, every trick fell short. We were never able to get him to heal. We were powerless to change his default setting. So this morning, let me ask you this. Where in your life are you struggling to heal? 
Where are you struggling to believe and live out the gospel? What default setting are you wrestling against? Friends, part of our journey is to name the reality that we all have this struggle. We all have this struggle. The Galatians had it. Paul had it. Every one of us has it. We basically have one, one of two choices as we face this. Choice number one is what I like to call the Jedi mind trick. These are not the droids you are looking for. I've got it all together. There's nothing to see here. Everything is fine. I'm good. That's kind of what my great-grandfather did, I think. Pretended like there was no problem, and eventually the weight of the problem totally crushed him. Option number two is filing for chapter 11. Option number two is coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I am totally, completely spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing, not even close. I have no hope without you, no power without you. That struggle is real. So how do we reset our default? How do we escape what so often feels like the never-ending spin cycle of this default setting? It seems like we're powerless to achieve it. So where does that power come from? That leads us to our second point today. The source of power. If the root of the problem is right there in the mirror across from us, where do we find the power to overcome it? Let's turn again in our text in Galatians 4 and let's look at verse 19 together. In verse 19, Paul says this, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Let's take a close look at some of the language here and consider what is implied first by the word childbirth. What power does a child have to birth itself? None. What does a child contribute to the process of being born? Nothing, right? I'm stating the obvious, but I think we really need to sit with this reality that we don't contribute anything to the birthing process. Being born is not a choice we make. It's not something we will into being. It's not something that happens by hard work. Being born happens to us by outside, outside powers apart from ourselves. We don't design our limbs. We don't form our heart. We don't pick the color of our eyes. We're created by the creator. We're completely helpless and powerless in the process. And so it is with our personal ability to become like Christ. We don't have the power to do that. In some ways, that can be discouraging. But the more that the Lord grows me in my faith, and I've got a long way to go, let me just name that, the more comforting that reality is because it helps me to explain and understand the problem. I don't have the power to overcome or to change within me, right? And so it's no wonder, and this is where it's helpful, it's no wonder that when I try to fix myself, I can't do it. It kind of unlocks the riddle for me to a degree, and it makes sense. So some of you might be asking, okay, we, can't, we don't have the power here. Where does the power come from? Let's read again in verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Let's pay close attention to what Paul is saying when he writes, until Christ is formed in you. And maybe for starters, let's pay close attention to what is not said. Paul does not say, until you develop yourselves in Christ. Paul does not say, until you figure out how to form Christ in you. The language here is very specific. It's until Christ is formed in you, something that is enacted upon us. We can no more form Christ in ourselves than a newborn baby can form his own heart. Let's also pay close attention to the word until. 
until Christ is formed in you. Paul does not write, I am in anguish wondering if Christ will be formed in you. He does not write, I am in anguish wondering whether you will be strong enough for Christ to form himself in you. He very clearly and simply says, I am in anguish until Christ is formed in you. Until implies certainty. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. I love this text because of what we see here. Without a doubt, Christ will be formed in you and in me when we believe in him. It's a certain hope that we are given because we know that Christ has already finished the work and through that we have access to his righteousness and his power. When we see that the power does not come from within ourselves and when we see that it's only a matter of time before Christ is formed in us, we realize that where the power comes from is Christ himself. Here again, this makes perfect sense. Would Jesus, the Son of the living God, have chosen to come if we had the power to save ourselves? If we had the power to transform our behavior, would he have needed to come? Of course not. In his great love for us, though, in his pity for us, he came to us in our lowly and powerless state. And if you have repented and invited him into your heart, his power and righteousness is yours in abundance. I love presentations, but I also hate them. And I hate them because they often require projectors. If I had a dollar for every presentation I've ever given over the years for when the projector did not work or when it didn't work right, I could take all of us down to Coffee Cartel after service and we could have a great breakfast together. I remember one such presentation a number of years ago. Everything seemed to be perfectly set. The slides were ready. We had done a great rehearsal. We even checked the projector the night before to make sure it was working properly. We tried to hide our panic at first, but you can guess what happened. Presentation time, the projector wasn't working. This button, that button, everything was not working. The audience could see our, our panic, and somebody decided to have pity on us and said, hey, is the projector plugged in? Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> the projector is not plugged in. Let's take care of that right now. Disaster averted mostly. Um, well, friends, like, like a child unable to birth itself, like a projector unable to power itself, the power to believe the gospel has to come from somewhere outside of us. If you're struggling to believe the gospel, as the Galatians were, if you're struggling to see Christ being formed in you, let me ask you, do you realize that you have access to power because of the work that Jesus has already done? Power comes by grace. And we have means of grace available to us here even now. If you're struggling to find power to overcome the problem of your default setting, the problem may be as simple as the projector not being turned, plugged in. The means of grace, what are they? Prayer, God's word, worship, what we're doing right here now fellowship with believers. These are the means of grace by which power comes. And they're available in limitless quantity. We just need to plug our projectors in and the rest will take care of itself. So when we realize that Christ, in him, we have the power to overcome the root of our problem, it frees us to look beyond ourselves. And that brings us to our final point today. Paul calls us to bear burdens with him. Paul calls us to bear burdens with him. We've been drilling into some of the specific language in the text here this morning. 
And right now, what I'd like us to do is take a big step back, kind of take a wide lens view at the text here, the eight verses collectively. What is Paul doing here generally? If you look across these eight verses, it is clear that Paul has a deep burden for the people that he's writing to, the Galatians. He is literally in anguish over them. He desperately wants them to see the wrong of their ways and to come back to the true and only gospel. He's burdened by this. And I love the window that we get to see into Paul in this moment because it shows us that Christ has been formed in Paul in a very powerful way. The burden that Paul has for the Galatians is an echo of the burden that Christ has for Paul. It's an echo of the burden that Christ has for the Galatians. It's an echo of the burden that Christ has for you. It's an echo of the burden that Christ has for me. It's that burden that compelled Jesus, the Son of God, to come down off of his throne and enter into our mess. To enter into our mess. And that's the ultimate bearing of burdens. If you're here today and perhaps unfamiliar with what we Christians believe as we're talking about this Jesus who came from his heavenly throne, let me just stop and speak to you for a moment directly. Okay, Um, Jesus Christ was a real historical figure. We believe he's the son of God. We believe he came down from heaven. He lived, but more importantly, he died on a cross free of sin and rose from the dead. Okay, that that is real historical fact. It's not a hoax. It really happened. And because it happened, we have the opportunity, you personally today have the opportunity to repent and to come to him for salvation. It doesn't require a checklist. It doesn't require a pilgrimage. It doesn't require seances or sacrifices. All it requires is that we confess our sin to him and ask him into our lives. And when we do, power comes with it. No more striving. No more Jedi mind tricks. Friends, if you're here today and you don't know that truth, please hear that truth. Salvation can be yours today. Jesus may be calling you today, here and now, to receive that truth. And when you do, the walls will come tumbling down. I don't want to say it gets easy from here, but it's the beginning of an amazing journey. For the rest of us who are already on the bus, what we see here in Paul is the burden of Christ for people to be set free from the problem. From the problem of our sin, from the problem of our default setting. So so do you have a burden? Do you have a passion for others to receive that life-changing power? Let me ask that question in a different way and maybe in a probing way. When's the last time that you've shared Christ with someone? Last week? Last month? Ever? Um, if, If we are burdened for the people around us, this is going to flow out of us naturally. This is going to flow out of us naturally. Um, and, and I can't stress this enough because if we know that there's a problem and we all share it, and if we know that power only comes from one source, friends, we're sitting on a treasure trove. And how selfish are we if we are not knocking on the door of our neighbor? if we are not going down the hall to our family member who's not a believer and sharing that glorious richness with them? Are we doing that? 
That's what Paul's doing here in the Galatians. And that's what he's calling us to today as we follow after him and as we follow after Christ. So if you're like me, you might be here saying today, um, Tim, hey, I'm just waiting for the right time. I've got this family member, or I've got this friend, or I've got this situation. I'm just waiting for the right time. Well, let's turn back to the text for a moment. Um, and, and let's explore uh, what Paul says in verse 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Did you catch that as we read the text this morning? I missed it at first. But Paul was not intending to preach the gospel to the Galatians. Circumstances cast his plans aside and put the Galatians before him. He wasted no time in preaching the gospel to them. So as the Lord calls us in following him to share the good news with others, are are you waiting on the right set of circumstances to do that? If you are, take a look at what Paul does here. He doesn't wait. He doesn't go in a corner and says, oh, my plans have been foiled. I guess I'll just have to wait till I get better. He shares the gospel right where he is at. So here's a, here's a challenge for you this week as you consider this message from Galatians. Who is one person in your life that needs to hear the life-changing truth of the gospel? Think about them for just a moment. Who is that person in your life? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Your assignment is simple. You don't have to develop a 10-point evangelism plan. Just pray. Pray for that person this week. And pray that the Holy Spirit would give you a burden for, that, for them that is uncontainable. Pray for that person and pray that the Lord would give you a burden for them that is uncontainable. And pray for the power to follow where God leads you next because he will lead you, right? His word tells us that He is quick to hear our prayers when we ask for good things. And that's a good thing. The Lord wants his children to return to him. So pray for that person in your life and pray for the power to follow God where he leads you in that relationship. Friends, we are the Galatians. We are the Galatians. Um, The problem is real. It resides right here within us. But the power that we have in Christ is greater still. We have access to that power. In closing, let me take you back to our beloved stray dog, now with the Lord in heaven, Lambert. We found him at Lambert International Airport, of all places. As a stray, we worried about how much of a flight risk Lambert would be. What would happen the first time he got loose? Well, one day, we found out. We left him in the backyard for a few minutes, went inside, and when we came back, the gate had popped open, and Lambert was gone. We panicked. Okay, I panicked. <laughs> I ran out into the street. I'm looking in all directions. I'm calling his name. Where did he go? And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, he's gone back to street life. That's what he knew when he came to us. That's where he's gone. So with somewhat dejected nature, but also still panicked, I, I, I walk up the front steps to our door, and there's Lambert sitting at the front door waiting to get in. So while he couldn't heal, Lambert had an identity transformation. Lambert had an identity transformation. He was no longer a stray. He had found a home, and he wasn't going back. So friends, if you are in Christ, you are not a stray. 
you have a heavenly father with a heavenly home waiting for you with power that is yours today to follow him into the journey. So when that backyard gate pops open and you're tempted to run back to your old ways, pray that the Lord would give you the power to transform your heart so that you run right back up those steps to his front door and you say, Father, I'm here. Please let me in. Would you pray with me?